Hello, welcome back to the Quacks Out Pod. I'm Charlie, and I guess it's almost good afternoon to you, Reed, in New Orleans. How you doing? I'm doing good. Just finished my last week of official classes, so about to graduate. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Hell yeah. Um, how much? Y'all got like another month, I guess? Don't talk to me about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a little bit. Uh, yeah. And the sun is yet to come out for more than a day at a time in Eugene, so... <laughs> Uh, one of those sunny days, though, was the Oregon spring game, which, of course, we will touch on. Uh, I kind of like some of these long gaps in uh, our recordings sometimes because it gives us a chance to like build up a lot of stuff to talk about for one episode so we don't end up going like so deep on one thing. So in this episode, <clears throat> we'll be talking about the spring game, obviously. Uh, but a whole lot more than that, too. Honestly, probably more than half the episode, if I had to guess, will be about uh, Dante Moore news, NIL news, recruiting news, um, guys visiting, guys transferring, coming in and out, and just some general discourse about these topics, too. Obviously, it's a it's a really important time to start wrapping your mind around NIL and the portal, and maybe you already have opinions on it. Maybe we'll confirm some of those opinions. Maybe we'll change some. I'm not sure. Uh Am I missing anything? Yeah, no, I'm excited to get into it. This is kind of the first full cycle that, you know, NIL's really been in place like this. So I think we're learning a lot of things just as as the days go by, really. Uh, the market on all these deals are, is evolving, and the NCAA is, is trying to play catch up with some legislation that uh, we'll get into as well. <laughs> yeah, catch up is definitely the right term for them. Um, so yeah, surprising, surprisingly full amount of content uh, on our dock for a May 6th college football episode, but let's get into it. Uh, a couple brief notes, actually, that I had before we get into all that stuff I just mentioned. Um, the first thing, like, you don't need to go in Twitter spaces anymore. Um, <laughs> I heard <laughs> people are getting scammed, and like, the guy is just blatant about it, uh, and to be honest with you, man, I haven't really gone in in Twitter spaces since, like, the whole landing thing was hired. In my head, they kind of served their purpose for that, and it was great. Um, and we did get, like, some nuggets of content out of that that were actually important, surprisingly enough. But I, I think that ship has sailed for me. I don't know if you might feel differently. I'm, I'm still open to it. Um, you know, I mean, I don't have... I, I can't spend all day in there uh, like some people, although I would if I could. Um, I'm crazy enough to do it, certainly. But I think <laughs> I enjoy it from time to time, uh, you know, and enjoy hearing what, like, QB11 has to say when he's in there always because he's a pretty valuable resource. And I, I respect it. I hope that, you know, people who do uh, like it can, you know, start to recreate this space and make it a little better. And a big thing, too, I think was – Part of what turned me off to it was it became like super censored for a while um, and kind of was like some people get to talk, some people aren't really allowed in. And I think if that space is going to work well, I think it either has to be like dedicated to a few people hosting and other people just come up and ask questions or it needs to be like a, a free for all. Um, and also, if you're going to host, you got to have some kind of built up some respect like QB 11 does, <laughs> you know, otherwise you're just talking about that stuff and saying things that everyone else already knows, but whatever. Yeah. 
um, hopefully, hopefully for people who do enjoy the Twitter spaces, it will recover uh, and be better than it was before. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all we got. I got to say about <laughs> that. Uh, another, another super brief thing to mention, the Doug Brenner news. I don't know how many people are even aware of this, but there's a huge lawsuit, or originally it was a huge lawsuit, directed at uh, the NCAA, the University of Oregon, Willie Taggart, and his former coach, uh, his former strength coach, Odorinde. Odorinde? I, I don't know yeah. how to say his name. From former player Doug Brenner, he was seeking a lot of money, uh, including $100 bucks from the NCAA and like $20 mil from Taggart and even more money from uh, U of O. But uh, according to Krapea, James Krapia, who of course has been all over this, um, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind or something. Uh, we should get a final ruling on money soon, but it looks like they're going to reach a settlement. Um, this whole thing was like, oh, these workouts uh, prevented me from going to the league, and apparently the jury is thinking like you weren't really going to the league in the first place. So uh, I don't know. It's a pretty hairy case. Like, it, I feel bad for him, but I also feel bad for some of the people getting sued. So it's very complicated. And yeah, I, I mean, just wanted the, to mention it as a piece of news. Yeah, the uh, we all I think. I mean, anyone who's been around was around during that era of, of Oregon football, which I assume is most of us uh, remember those workouts, and they were pretty horrible. Um, but I think, you know, was Doug Brenner going to be a um, Hall of Famer without them? Probably not. So I yeah. think, you know, it, it seems like that's probably the right way for things to go. It's kind of funny that a, you know, jury even has a say in determining a guy's nfl earning potential though i know uh, i don't know exactly that's what how I was it went, too. <laughs> but it's a pretty funny situation there yeah um so i don't know Krapia has a very long article about it with a lot of details if you're into that sort of thing um but for now i think it's safe to say that that ship has kind of sailed okay um let's get going into, into this news stuff uh some of this more important stuff Transfer portal. Let's just dive in. Um, if you don't like the transfer portal, if you think it's ruining college football, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you because it's your opinion, but and I'm not here to, to tell you what to think. But at this point, it's something that you kind of just have to accept that is, is part of the sport and it's going to be for the foreseeable future. We'll see what some of these regulations look like if they ever get in place or if the NCAA ever gets its act together. Um but, you know, it is what it is. We saw Scoop David leave yesterday into the transfer portal, Damon David. Uh, Christian Williams also entered the transfer portal. He was, quote-unquote, away from the program, we were told, after the spring game. Um, he hadn't been a participant in spring ball at all. Uh, so it looks like he is departed. The other guy, by the way, who was in that same category of away from the team was Punter Tom and We still don't know what the deal is with that. So, uh you know, not not a super big deal, but also our backup punter, Will Hutchinson, uh, is also in the transfer portal. So <laughs> maybe punter is a position to watch. I don't know, but uh, I'm going to guess not. What do you think of this, man? What's the big deal? Do you have a yeah, take? I, th I think that, um, I mean, the Damon David one hurts a lot 
uh, he had a ton of positive buzz around him when he stepped on campus and then some injuries um, and it just kind of never came together and now he's heading off, you know? Uh, and I think that one hurts because it's at a position of safety where we both need depth and I think there was some optimism that, you know, maybe things would click for Scoop and he would actually be a starter by midseason or a, you know, heavy contributor or something. Mm -hmm. um, and now we kind of lose probably the guy with the highest ceiling in that safety room, it felt like, long term. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that's a big hit. I think a lot of people go to the fact that these guys are from the East Coast and the South, you know, uh, Scoop yeah. being from Baltimore. And some people are going to say, well, this is why you can't recruit those areas. I really don't agree with that personally. I mean, one, I think, especially in the South, there's a lot of um, <laughs> really good football players who yeah, are, you gotta a, recruit who are yeah. a body type <laughs> that doesn't exist on the West Coast. Uh, so unless you're going to absolutely dominate and kind of sweep the west coast for defensive linemen uh, especially then you should probably get some guys from the south too uh, that said you know when you get them you have to come with the awareness that like this type of thing can happen um, especially if someone comes in and doesn't fit into the rotation immediately and that's okay i mean you look at but you, but you can't you will trade having these transfers out for getting Brandon Dorless and keeping him this whole time. Absolutely. Like if you're going to take two and one of them leaves after two years and one of them turns into a three-year starter for you, that is definitely worth it. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of scoop, you know, I, I, he's from Baltimore. He was good friends uh, with Dante Thornton. Um, and they kind of came out here together. I think that this is kind of, you know, what happens with unlucky injuries too. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the basis of his decision was, but I think I have to wonder if he was healthy throughout his career and he was kind of jockeying for a starting spot right now, uh, full on, or maybe had the lead for a starting spot if this goes differently, right? Um, but mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's no secret that he came to Oregon to play football. Uh, that doesn't mean he doesn't like the state or university, but you know, if you come to play football and because of injuries and whatever else, you don't get to play football during your first two years, it makes sense that you, you know, get a little homesick and might want to transfer somewhere else or find another opportunity. Um, so obviously, mm -hmm. you know, no hard feelings there, but it's a hit for Oregon safety room and kind of adds to the need to maybe pick someone else uh, out of the portal. But I think that's what we're learning is just gonna be the nature of the transfer portal. You're gonna lose some guys and you're also gonna have an up, a chance to pick some of that talent up um, with a guy who's a more immediate contributor, you know, because in the past it would be, well, if you lose that safety, you're gonna have to get a, you know, get a prep recruit and hope that in two years they develop quick or maybe you hit on one that's really good immediately but it's tough to get one with proven college production and now mm -hmm. um if you know where to look if you have relationships maybe if you're willing to pay a certain price 
there are starting caliber safeties to be had in the portal, uh, and that goes for almost every position. So I think it hurts, but I don't think it, you know, takes away everything. I mean, we continue, it just continues the fact that the secondary and safety especially is the thinnest position going into next year for Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, I know I talked a lot about Scoop David. Christian Williams, uh, I feel, you know, same in that wish him the best. I think it's less of a significant hit for Oregon. There's a lot of depth coming in there. Um, on the defensive line, including the two transfers from Nebraska, Casey Rogers, who was just added, um, and then Jordan Riley, who just posted a, a picture that made it look like he actually, you know, is on track to come to Oregon after that was kind of up in the air for a little bit. So I think that the defensive line is going to be fine next year. Uh, and sucks to see Christian Williams go, but it's a less significant impact for next year or for the future for Oregon. Um, and we'll see how it goes. For those who don't know, too, just on the transfer portal, May 1 at midnight was the deadline for uh, players to submit paperwork to the school if they want to play next year. And the school had 48 hours to process that and make it public and enter them into the portal. So that's kind of why we saw a bunch of stuff trickle out over the past few days. But it also means that hopefully the big wave of transfers from Oregon, you know, not that there was that big of a wave ever, but it's kind of, this is probably the most we're going to see. Maybe there'll be a couple others in fall camp, but uh, for especially for starting caliber guys who would be good enough and want to play someplace immediately, they would probably be in the portal already uh, for next season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think these are just good examples of, or good reminders, I should say, that when when you're looking at the transfer portal and who's available and who needs what on what roster, uh, the guys themselves, the players, don't always look at that. That's not what's always most important to them. Uh, obviously, for someone like David and Christian Williams, I mean, these are guys who would undoubtedly be getting snaps this year and meaningful ones at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Williams got a bunch of snaps last season even. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, again, a lot of times these are the first and only talking points that get thrown out about or that get talked about regarding guys moving around in the portal. And, it, you know... It's just a nice reminder that this is reality. On the paperwork side of things, that was kind of the biggest question mark I had and that a lot of people have regarding David and his transfer. Because this news didn't come out until yesterday, which we're recording this on Friday morning, so that would have been Thursday like afternoon is when I saw it. Maybe it was earlier. Maybe I have my days off. But either way, that's a long way from, from May 1st when it was supposed to be like quote-unquote official. I mean, maybe he will be eligible for next year. Maybe he won't. I'm not sure. I mean, I think anyone who's been to a large university knows that paperwork doesn't always happen <laughs> as quickly as it yeah. should. Um, I mean, that pretty much goes for any bureaucracy bureaucracy in general. But um, I'm really interested in the guys we're bringing in. I definitely think that we're, we're gaining more talent than we're losing across the board. Uh, it's tough to say that when you lose such important guys like David and Williams, but um, I'm really excited about some of these guys. Uh, I don't know how much like like poking around you've done, but I wasn't watching a lot of film or anything because I'll leave that to people who know football better than me. But uh, 
Marquise Irving is the first one I want to touch on, the running back from Minnesota. I was poking around depth charts and things like that, just kind of looking at his stats and stuff. This guy was about to be the second string at Minnesota, and if you pay attention to Minnesota, you'll know that that's, that's not a terrible spot to be on their depth chart. They have Muhammad Ibrahim at, as their first string running back, and he is legitimately one of the best in the country. Um, so we'll see what Keese has to offer. I think they called him Bucky out there, yeah. which instantly puts him in like top probably five or three nicknames on the Oregon roster, if not well, number uh, one. To be especially honest. once we lose Scoop. Right? I know, right? I mean, Scoop was, yeah. was probably top of the list or close to it, so now Bucky is taking that slot. Bucky is just awesome. I love Bucky. Also, his commitment video is one of the funniest I've seen in a long time. <laughs> the dude's rocking like the plastic glasses and just going crazy on the field. I don't know. I, I But it's still like, it's they use the same format of like, oh, you know, here's a highlight tape. Except instead of highlights, it was just him like dancing around and awesome. Which was, it was really funny. Yeah. Um, so he seems like he has a fun, he's a fun personality. Uh, now the fifth guy in the running back room, which I mean, we just built a running back room from scratch in the off season. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see what he has to bring. And then Rogers is a guy who was a projected starter on the D line at Nebraska. Uh, and now that might not mean much to somebody who looks at Nebraska and says, well, they were three and nine team. Like, what's the big deal? Uh, is this guy really worth it? Um, and I mean, obviously the connection to coach Tony Tuioti is what got him here. Nebraska's former D line coach, our current one. Um, I don't know. I was looking at his PFF grades and they seemed fine. He played really well in his last game against Iowa last season, uh, which, I mean, if you know anything about Iowa, that should stand out to you a little bit. So I don't know if he cracks the two deep in my head, but, um, and of course it was like right after I, I released my two deep article for defense, but of course, apparently he's a pretty versatile guy who can play a lot of different positions. So I'm excited to have him on board if nothing else. Yeah, I definitely think, um, I think, I mean, we'll have to see exactly where all these guys slot into Lanning's defense, but uh, I think that he's a two-deep type of guy, you know? I mean, and sometimes a two-deep really means, like, three at some positions if they if guys like, you know, if the coach likes to rotate especially, uh, mm-hmm. which obviously Lanning, you know, did a bit of at Georgia. Um, so I think he'll be a contributor at the very least. I don't think he'd be coming here if he wasn't. Um, and it obviously shows some faith in uh, Tuioti to, you know, not have it be a guy where, oh, I wasn't going to get reps at Nebraska anyways, and I kind of like this coach. It's like I have a sure thing at Nebraska, uh, or, you know, I have, a, I have a slot, a role carved out for me where I'm going to be on the field a lot, but I still uh, – like my like this coach enough to fall into Oregon and kind of take that leap of faith um so I'm really Mm -hmm. excited about that uh addition um I mean I think it's a depth piece right I don't think it this isn't cave on 2.0 walking in or anything (laughs) um but I think it just continues to add to uh stockpile of defensive linemen that Oregon has that doesn't really exist anywhere else in this conference right now. Uh, and I hope that, that that we'll see the value of that as this season uh, progresses. And then 
On the Marquise Irving thing, um, I mean, I think that it was a really big pickup. I, if you talk to Minnesota fans, I know Mitt, who's involved in the spaces, kind of falls Minnesota as well. Uh, it's one of his teams, so he was kind of cluing us in, and I saw some other reaction from Minnesota fans. But this is a guy who kind of was their version of Byron Cardwell in that he was that young freshman four-star back who kind of showed up and mm. people realized, oh, this guy's legit. Um, this guy has a really bright future here, they thought. Uh, now he has a bright future in Eugene. But this is, you know, they're different types of backs, but in terms of getting another young guy who I think he's an NFL back potentially, you know? I mean, he's a four-star, mm. so that's what that means, uh, is that you're a projected NFL guy. And in his first year, you know, behind Ibrahim, Ibrahim goes down early uh, against Ohio State, I think, in their first yeah. game, um, which I, of course, remember watching scouting Ohio State for, <laughs> yep, exactly. for the Oregon game. So that's the mo- I watched a lot of Minnesota, uh, a lot of that Minnesota game at least. But then um, Irvin kind of stepped into uh, – co-starter position for most of the year while Ibrahim was out um, and racked up, I think, somewhere like 700 yards. I don't know the total in front of me, but that's legit production at a Power 5 school. Mm-hmm. So this isn't just a flyer depth piece in the room. This is a guy who's going to carve out a significant role. Um, and I think that it's a good spot to be because you know, you could have had Jordan James there as a guy who you want to um, carve out a big role for this year if you'd get down to your fourth. But it's nice to have four guys, I think, who you really trust this year to carry the ball because, you know, injuries can happen at running back like we saw last year. There were mm-hmm. times where we got down to third and fourth uh, on our depth chart. I mean, going into last year, Cardwell was four. And we know how yeah. big of a role he ended up having to play. Um, I think Irving is, he's a really big physical back, which is a nice compliment uh, to this room. I think, you know, uh, QB described him kind of as someone who does a lot of work in that 20 yard range, uh, who doesn't go down on first contact. I'm really mm-hmm. excited to ha- see what he adds to this, to this room because, I mean, Cardwell feels like an all around guy who's, I think is going to be a star. Uh, I think we all feel that way. Um, Dollars mm-hmm. has shown to be really crafty uh, and have some short speed, especially. Uh, and I'm excited to see what he does. And Whittington seems like um, he runs hard as well uh, and has some speed uh, to break away at times too. So I think that Four really good guys is a good place to be in. Uh, I think we would have been fine with three, but, you know, I think four is probably a good number. And more than anything, I'm just really impressed by how this staff has adapted and totally reshaped the running back room, like you said. Um, Mm -hmm. You lose Travis Dye, you lose Verdell to the NFL, uh, and we were excited about a few guys, but, you know, this room was in need of some depth for sure. Uh, and they quickly gave this thing a makeover to the point that it's it's really strong. And, you know, talking to some USC fans, they said they're kind of talking about their offense, and they're like, oh, well, we took Oregon's best player in Travis Dye. 
I think people don't realize that, you know, from the Oregon perspective, we, I think, I feel like, and I think most Oregon fans feel like, I'm not totally sure, I guess, but I feel like Oregon's running back room upgraded from last year. Um, mm. I think we're in a better spot than we were last year, honestly. Uh, love Travis Dye, uh, at least have in the past, might take a, a few months off from that when the season starts, but... Uh, I think that overall I'm, I'm more excited about this running back room than I was about last year's. Wow. I mean, more excited, sure. I don't know if I'm ready to say it's better. I think it's deeper. But, I mean, it's hard to replace two, like, guaranteed starters like, like Riddell and Die. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to think on that one a little more, actually. Uh, real quick while you were talking, I browsed through uh, Bucky Irving's PFF grades a little bit. They're pretty solid, man. Um, he had some. He had really good, just a really good overall offensive grade, which is always nice to see. Uh, his pass blocking grades were pretty consistent. I guess he had one game against Illinois that's like a sixteen, which is not. I don't. I don't even know how that happens, but uh, the rest of them are all pretty much in the seventies, which is great to see. Um, and it looks like he can factor into the passing game, too, if he needs to. So, again, there, there's no reason not to look at this and say it's a positive. I, mean, I also he, want to throw... He, he went for... I've just pulled up a stat. He went for 772 yards and four TDs as a true freshman from scrimmage. Like, mm-hmm. that, those are real numbers. 5.3 yeah, rushing on, average. Yeah, I was just 167 snaps, so it's a pretty good average. Um, like, uh, the, I'm telling you, this is not uh, this is a legit pickup. Like those, you know, we talk about people always talk about a thousand yard rushing mark. He was 300 yards away from that last year. Like, yeah, and that's he, from playing in three, six, only ten games. Yeah, and and as a true freshman, you know, I'm. This is not a, just a depth piece. This is, like I said, a potential NFL back, which, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, CJ ended up getting an undrafted free agent thing. We'll see what happens with Travis. But uh, as productive as those guys were, you know, they, as we saw, they weren't surefire NFL guys. I mean, they weren't four stars like this and stuff, so... That's kind of where I'm coming from. I think we'll see how it shakes out uh, as well, and maybe I'm a little bit uh, overhyped on these guys, but you know, <laughs> it is it is legit talent that and and some production that is coming in as well. I also wouldn't sleep on Jordan James either. Uh, we yeah. haven't thrown his name out there a lot because he hasn't been in the program yet, like on campus. Um, Again, that's or that's a running four-star running back that Oregon flipped from Georgia. It was one of I want to say it was one of Landing's first moves when he got here, mm-hmm. or maybe it was right before the signing day. I don't remember. Um, the point is, there's always somebody in in fall camp that like shoots up that you really think you have the position group set in stone, and then somebody just kind of jumps up and surprises you, and like all of a sudden, oh, who's this guy who's like taking all these snaps and games and stuff? So maybe that's him. You never know. Um. All right, let's get to some more guys who were coming in. I guess that was an inadvertent transition to recruiting, but um, Ducks get a big commitment 
and another big win over USC. Maybe we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, in 2023, wideout Jurion Dickey. This guy's huge. He's 6'2", 210, um, and he's really fast as well, apparently. Uh, the 210 number is obviously the one that sticks out to a lot of people. I mean, we know the Ducks have some length on the outside, but to balance that with being a tank uh, is pretty rare. Uh, I don't remember exactly where he ranked in terms of receivers, but he was a high four-star. Um, mm-hmm. What did what did this recruitment mean to you? I yeah, I think you know in terms of did it beat out USC? USC has a lot of wide receiver talent uh, already in this class, especially. Um, but it meant a hell of a lot to Oregon, right? Um, I mean, yeah. we've been talking on here about Casper and Dickey for a long time that that was you know the goal at wide receiver for this class uh obviously Casper technically reclassified to 2022 but in terms of setting out that goal and accomplishing it um a plus grade to this staff and getting Dickey on here early I think it's a really uh exciting thing it was really interesting to hear kind of some of his interviews after the fact say that Oregon had faded in his recruitment under the past staff for a bit, uh, which, to be honest, mm-hmm. wasn't totally my impression. Um, it seemed like he was positive on, on Oregon for a while, but quickly the new staff, I guess, came in and, in his words, kind of uh, re-cemented Oregon, you know, towards the top of his recruitment and ultimately closed this thing pretty fast. Uh, I think it, you know, for the past month or so had felt like a matter of, when not if um and this you know start of may is a great time to start building that momentum again um as in terms of the type of player he is the i mean the two sites that you know everyone goes to different places for ratings and i think that we have a little i don't know i mean it's it's a weird discussion because sometimes people talk in such definitive terms about you know, I, I've called like I'll call Ty Thompson a five star, and someone will say, "No, he's not a five star; he's a four star." And and you know, really, <laughs> these distinctions are a lot more fluid uh, than yeah. you know. <laughs> they're not than the language allows for. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and by on threes ratings alone, he's the thirty fifth best player in the country. By two four player, seven, not receiver, yeah, player, yeah, player, uh, which you know people have thirty two five stars usually, so he's borderline in their eyes right now. Two four seven has him a little lower at fifty ninth best player in their sites ratings alone. And to be honest, I think we all know that two four seven and on three have by far the most resources and the best scouting departments. Um, mm-hmm. So I trust their ratings a little more. And then ESPN and Rivals have him at 200 and 206 in the country. Still both very comfortably in four-star range, but a little lower on him. Uh, for the on-three consensus, he nets up out to 86 in the country. Anytime you get a top 100 guy, that is like another benchmark to me uh, or in that you know range where it's like this guy is a big impact player um, and a guy who can potentially pop into you know, a first or second round talent. Uh, it doesn't mean it will happen, but when you're in that range, that's what you look at. You know, that's like around where Penne was. Um, 
And not to say he's going to be Penne, right? But, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, style of oranges there. Yeah, so. right, right. Um, but style of play, he's a bigger guy, which is interesting, right? I think Oregon's gotten a lot of long guys. Um, you know, like the skinnies. Uh, he would yep. not belong in the skinnies category. Uh, is certified not a skinny. Um, I've seen some people compare him to like AJ Brown, uh, or Debo Samuel, um, in that he's got a little bit of a bigger frame, uh, and he's just muscular too, you know? Um, so his physical development is, you know, and the power that he's able to generate from that is really good. Uh, and you know, he's plenty fast, plenty mobile as well. I think it's just going to be interesting to see a different type of body join into this receiver room. Um, the talents there, you know, I think we're, we're going to have to see how it goes. Right. But this is what I always thought was kind of the goal at receiver for the first two, um, was Casper and, and Dickey. And so to land these two, I think is exactly where you want to be as a program really. Mm-hmm. Just a reminder, Casper reclassified to 2022, so he'll be here a year early. Dickey has not done that yet, so he technically becomes the third 2023 guy. Uh, although, again, there's that Casper caveat. Uh, he joins Tavita Pome, who we talked about a long time ago, three-star uh, defensive lineman, and Cole Martin, son of uh, Coach Meat, um, uh, listed as an athlete, but kind of assumed he's like a corner type. I guess we'll see. Uh, so huge commitment again, um, really happy for Dickie, really happy for landing and the staff to get this one locked down. Um, and although maybe we build it at the time as it looked like a big recruiting win over USC. Yeah, maybe it's not sure. Whatever. Point is it's a huge, it's a huge win. Um, and we're very lucky to have a guy like, like Dickie getting on there. Also the, the recruiting pictures are great, but anything with fishing in it, I just love. Um, so yeah. I'm always a fan of those. All right, let's talk about some guys who could be joining him, hopefully, in the 23 class. Uh, may we'll, we'll save the the QB and NIL discourse for kind of the end of this, but um, Riley Williams, I think, is the biggest name that people are talking about right now. Uh, he's from my school, again, Central Catholic in, in Portland. Uh, let's go Rams. I think he took... He's taking officials to a lot of different places now. I can't remember the exact... I don't have the exact list right in front of me, but I believe he's visiting next weekend, if I have that right. Um, He's one of the biggest prospects out of Oregon in quite a long time. I mean, Oregon does not have a great track record of producing, like, amazing recruits. I mean, even a guy like Herbert was a three-star. and Like, yeah, sure, you could say he was overlooked or whatever, but, like, nobody really expected him to to be the one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, and then you have guys like Palomalu occasionally and Damakong Su is probably the best recruit out of Oregon, I think ever. Um, so the fact that we can even, I mean, Williams is a high four star, like the fact we can mention him even near some of those other guys is pretty impressive. Now I'm not saying he'll be like a hall of famer, like, like Palomalu or anything, but, um, it would be really nice to secure this, this tight end position, uh, recruitment, especially when. Again, you just don't get a lot of these talents coming out of Oregon. And a lot of the highly rated guys I did mention didn't even go to Oregon. So, again, just another case to lock it down. 
Yeah, totally. It's kind of funny how, um, I mean, the discourse around recruiting is just so funny because you listen to people from Texas talk or people from, you know, USC, even Washington, Florida, whatever, like so many people talk about, you got to start by locking down your own state. And yep. for yep. Oregon, I mean, this feels like a total anomaly and bonus to have yeah. a guy who's like a legitimate, you know, really strong take in the state. Uh, I mean, we, we've had some who were, you know, targets, but uh, not, having a guy who's like, this is top of our board for this position, you know, or Mm-hmm. or first or second for our board for this position nationally, and he's in our backyard, basically doesn't happen uh, yeah. for Oregon, it feels like. And so, yeah, I mean, you got to capitalize on it when it does. And it seems like Oregon's in a good position to do that, right? I mean, let this mm-hmm. thing take its time. Uh, I certainly don't begrudge anyone the process of, you know, taking your visits, getting flying out, flown out to places, touring facilities and and all that do it you know uh but ultimately it seems like oregon does have the inside track here uh and if they keep pushing you know with the stuff this the results this staff has put together on the trail should be should be in a good position for this one at least Mm -hmm. his brother corbin obviously was a walk-on at uvo as well also went to my high school and he was actually in my class. So a little bit of family connection there as well. Um, so yeah, hopefully we can get that done. Uh, a couple more guys have been visiting recently. Um, Leona Lefau is a, is a linebacker from Hawaii. Don't know much about him, to be honest. Um, we got Richard Young, and this is a big surprising one. Uh, this is a five-star running back. He's like the most coveted running back in the country. Um, he's from Florida, but apparently his Oregon visit went really, really well, according to Jay Hop, which is of course where you got to get all that, uh, that nice visiting information from, um, do you think the ducks have a realistic shot here? The, the on three prediction machine doesn't seem to think so, but you think there's any actual chance? I think, I think there is a chance. Um, yeah, you know, I think there is, I think. It just depends, right? I mean, I kind of say, QB always says, you know, some kids want to stay close to home and some, like, have this desire to blaze their own path and go outside the region and do something else. And Oregon's brand is always going to be attractive to people who want to do something new, do something, you know, that's what Oregon is. Um, and so it's just a matter of, you know, whether that's something that young wants, I mean, it seems like at least, you know, from the early buzz in his recruitment, like the in-state teams definitely don't have a hold on him. Alabama's the team that, you know, has the lead in the on three RPM right now. Um, a pretty big one, but not, you know, a completely overwhelming one. Crazier things have happened, and it's still early enough in this recruitment. So I say, you know, yeah, why not? Um, we'll see what happens, right? And, I mean, this kind of pivots into the NIL discussion. 
you know, <laughs> I mean, this is a five-star running back, right? This is the number one running back, uh, according to the on three consensus in the country. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, am I saying this is likely? No, uh, but there's a chance to get in play here if you assemble a good class around him. Uh, I know he's talked about, and something J-Hop mentioned was him wanting to be the only running back in his class. And I think that adding a guy like Marquise Irvine, Irving really allows you to only take one uh, in 2023. And so kind of puts you in a good position in this recruitment potentially, um, or mm-hmm. at least kind of checks that box. Um, you know, and like I said, with NIL, we'll see what factor that plays for him, right? Uh, and, you know, that's the nature of recruiting. I know we're going to get into it a little more later, but, you know, yes, NIL has, has changed things and made things a bit more overt, but I mean, ultimately I think, you know, a lot of the players who have come off the board as five stars, whether it be to Oregon or elsewhere over the past 10 plus years of recruiting and even further back than that have gotten some money to go to the school that they chose. Uh, <laughs> I think that's safe it's not to a say. new development. <laughs> yeah. So that's the deal. And I think, you know, Oregon's Oregon is doing a good job of sorting through that stuff right now. Uh, I think it's a discussion regularly. Um, and Oregon's been, you know, relatively uh, cautious on throwing out big sums of money. You know, if if Oregon wanted to, uh, I feel confident saying, like, Oregon could have gotten Nico and matched for 8 mil. If, if Phil Knight said, we just want this quarterback, let's do it, we'll pay the price, I have 8 mil and I'll throw it around, you know, Oregon would have had him if the prices were even, it seemed like. Uh, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to say that for every recruit, you know, because I think, yeah, money matters, but relationships still matter too. But I think that was a scenario where it looked like Oregon was in the lead and Tennessee offered something big. And Oregon was, you know, decided that they were willing to say, hey, the price is too high sometimes. We can't just get in all out bidding wars. We got to be smart. Um, but at the same and again, time. We're- you, you when we're talking about that, we're talking yeah. about the first big example of using it. The first big example of taking right. a risk on somebody with NIL. It's important to remember that. Like, there will be more of these examples throughout history. It's yet to be seen if it'll reach 8 mil because the risk is just so high with these guys. I think it's really interesting. Um, and we can kind of pivot into NIL discussion in general and, and some of the stuff with Dante Moore. But I think... Yeah, what, you know, people talk about what's the market price for these guys? How is this thing going to settle in? And I think when people saw the Nico number at first, you know, in March when that broke, um, people were shocked. And the initial reaction was, that's ridiculous. It's crazy to pay a high school guy 8 mil. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, to- I'm not totally convinced that's true, honestly. Uh, I don't know where these numbers are going to settle down because, look, if Nico's the real deal and he goes to Tennessee and, and in three years he's a top, you know, 10 pick uh, and all the, you know, notoriety that that will bring the program, it's probably over, you know, three or four years going to be 
worth eight mil if it works out, you know, and it's, and mm -hmm. it's a high school kid. So there's a risk that it doesn't work out. You know, there's more risk than there is in the NFL, but people pay a lot more money per year to these guys in the NFL. Uh, and still there are busts that happen there. And with quarterback, I mean, I think the big thing is not only is it the most important position in the sport, um, on the field, but these guys have a huge, huge role as class builders in recruiting. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, what would help with Richard Young? Probably getting a commitment from Dante <laughs> Moore would help. Um, that's why they had them on campus at the same time, right? Yep. So and apparently they hit it off too while they were right. on campus. And look at like the momentum that uh, Tennessee has you know, kind of built, you know, in part by paying more for other guys, but also I think just getting that guy in Nico and saying, Hey, look, we're going to be pretty good with this guy. You at least have your quarterback. Um, you have something to join now that's attractive to other players. And these guys know each other and quarterbacks always have a big sphere of influence. Um, and so if you get one on early, it can have a lot of additional effects that go beyond even just um the on the field benefits right so mm -hmm. the on three did a really good article that i think people should read about the quarterbacks and nil evaluations and kind of finding that market value uh and i liked it because they weren't scared to actually throw out numbers and say this guy wants this much money this collective is saying they have this much money to spend Mm -hmm. uh, and it seemed like for those top tier guys, for high four stars and five stars, the idea was, you know, for a while, one mil was where people were creeping around. And now there's kind of been a crunch over this past few months as Nico goes off the board and a lot of other quarterbacks have kind of settled into their place. And now, you know, unfortunately, two guys on Oregon's board, uh, Jaden Rashada and Dante Moore are two of the big guys left. And, you know, because there's less options out there, we see teams like Texas A&M, who we know are not scared to throw around a bag, hop into the equation um, and get some kind of, there's some pressure to start ramping up these numbers. And some guys are more attracted to that and some guys are less. But I think ultimately, um, you know, relationships are important, especially with some guys. I think we all know, you know, the buzz is that Rashada is, is interested in a little more NIL money and more might be a guy who wants some money but isn't just committed to the highest bidder. Um, mm -hmm. So relationships still matter in this thing. Uh, but that said, you know, you're not going to – I don't think that there's much um, – you know, moral high ground and being the one team that sits out and says like, no, we're not going to pay anyone. Uh, you know, I, that's why we, that's why the NIL collectives are there. Um, and these guys are talented and they're going to bring in a lot of money for the university. And so if you need to find, you know, a million, $2 million, I know a lot of money, right. Over three or four yeah. years. Um, that just might be the price for, you know, some, for some of these guys and a guy like Dante Moore, honestly, in my mind, if I was the one making the decisions is probably worth it because 
I, I still think that there's a bit too much of a feeling in the market right now of, oh, these numbers are astronomically high and they're going to settle down. And I don't think that that's 100% true because these guys do make a ton of money for the programs. And I think that over, I mean, two mil for a guy over three years compared to what people are playing paying in professional football. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's some difference there, but that is a pretty big gap too, you know, and these guys can, college football has a big reach and brings in a lot of money and making a college football playoff, you know, because you have a top three quarterback in the country, if it works out, is definitely worth the two mil over those three years, Uh, especially if it helps you to get another, you know, five-star running back next to him and all this stuff, so Hopefully, you know, I'm in the camp of rooting for Oregon to take a step out and being willing to pay some money for these guys. And Oregon's done it for some guys. You know, we haven't seen them step out and make the eight mil offer yet that Nico needed. And I don't know if I want them to do that. But I think that you got to play ball here. uh, And hopefully that will win out along with the relationships in the end and Oregon will be in a, a good position. Um. At this point in the evolution of NIL money, uh, these terms like, you know, dropping the NIL bag and Oregon using Nike money and all this stuff, like, if you're genuinely bothered by that, I think you're a little bit behind at this point. Um, this is, <laughs> and if, if for whatever reason you think that this is an entirely, and in some ways it is a new landscape being built, but I'll just encourage people to open up your browser, open up a new tab. I'll give you a little time to do it. Type in Stephen Godfrey Bagman and read the long form that that will pop up first. Um, it, it was written quite a while ago, and it will teach you quite a bit about college football that you didn't know already. And you'll find a shocking amount of it still applies to <laughs> what we're talking about here. Um, and make no mistake, these types of things are still happening, like... Again, with NIL, a lot of stuff is just more out in the open by now. Um, Some NIL bags that Oregon may not have dropped that some people thought we were going to uh, are regarding a couple of Texas players. Uh, We've heard the name Xavier Worthy a lot in the past. Obviously, he was heavily recruited by Oregon at one point, committed to Oregon, and then Michigan, and then broke out in that uh, Red River game against Oklahoma last year for Texas. Uh, he and Jamay Barron, who I believe, Jamay Barron, Jamay Barron, cornerback. Uh, there were a couple rumors about Oregon, like spending money to try to get either of them. The number for Barron was, I think, like 200K and worthy, like about a million is what you told me beforehand. Yeah, according um, to Texas fans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, from what we've been told from people who have actual sources, like, this is not real. Uh, it's extremely illegal, like, in the first place. And it's also just not true, apparently. Um, it seems like a pretty weird thing to even have be a rumor in the first place. But I digress. Uh, does any? Do you have anything to say about that situation at all? Or should we move on from that? <laughs> well, I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, um, it seemed out of character for Oregon based on what we've heard, right? 
mm-hmm. I mean, I think that if a guy like Barron was interested in coming to Oregon, you know, and um, I don't know, I think some people had looked into it, I forget, but had, had said maybe there was a connection with, with Powledge there that he had recruited him or, or had some relationship there um, from his time at Baylor, uh, you know, and, and, or maybe that was just speculation. I don't know, but you know, if there was some way in which those parties reached out and Baron was interested, you know, yeah, I mean, Oregon is looking to add another corner. Um, but Oregon hasn't done anything on recruiting or transfer market that we know of. Uh, and I think we probably would know a bit about it, a bit more about it if it did happen in terms of dropping like that 200K on a player uh, currently at another school. Um, I think if he wanted to come and it worked out and yeah, maybe there might be, you know, a little bit of money involved there, but probably not that much. Um, That's a pretty big sum. Uh, And even more so for Worthy, I mean, a mill offered to a guy is huge um but who knows i guess right i mean a lot of stuff happens in secrecy in this sport that you can't exactly track it was interesting to have this stuff go on in parallel to the news that was breaking out of pit with jordan addison yes um the wide receiver there who you know for people who don't know was huge part of their offense with Kenny Pickett last year. Obviously Pickett kind of became a household name. Addison did to college football fans, but you know, a bit less cause he's not I mean, going in the draft yet. Maybe, he won um, the Blitnikoff, but he right? won the Blitnikoff, right. Yeah. And it's going to be a top 10 pick. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, he, he, he is a household name. I just never know exactly yeah. how much that makes it out to people who <laughs> maybe only follow the PAC 12 or whatever. Anyways, though, USC reportedly uh, offered him three mil and a house to go there for one year. Um, and I don't know what to believe. I mean, with USC, that that's basically what they did for Lincoln Riley uh, in terms of boosters coming together. Uh, you know, obviously the, the value of the house and the value of the money were a lot bigger scales a little different yeah. scale is <laughs> scale is different but it seems a little more believable because we've seen usc boosters act in this fashion very publicly already poaching someone from another school uh with a large sum of money for their services and a nice home <laughs> um and so but but who knows really i mean the big thing was that he was at Pitt, you know, like during, uh, and Narduzzi apparently called Lincoln Riley and confronted him about tampering. That was the big word that came out. Um, I know USC fans were very upset because they were like, oh, it's only tampering when we do it. And that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, I get the complaint a and a lot of, sh- a lot of shady stuff does happen in this sport, but this was a little bit of another level from anything we have seen yeah in terms of an offer of this size being reported for a guy that we didn't know was in the portal yet uh and maybe it's just about things getting leaked the wrong way uh and other people having things covered up better than usc did but it is a little bit of a uh another progression in this whole nil thing i guess i would say it's going to become and i guess it's already become the textbook to textbook example of tampering in the transfer portal era 
Um, we'll see how many more high-profile examples we get. Uh, obviously, the NCAA, we mentioned a little bit earlier, is trying to create legis- legislation about this. We already have some things like the, the deadline and, well, actually, that that's pretty much it. It's just the deadline, uh, which did play into this as well. I mean, some people thought he wasn't in before the deadline, and then it turns out, again, paperwork takes time to do. Um, so I, I think it'll be really interesting what happens. I was also, another point has been brought up to me. I'm not sure if I buy this one as much, but it is an interesting point in saying that if you're Jordan Addison and, you know, you're just getting sick of going to pit for whatever reason, and you look around the country at your options, I mean, USC is going to be pretty high on that list regardless, right? Uh, so maybe it was something where he reached out first, I don't know. Maybe it is tampering, but yeah. I mean, in I, kind of the public knowledge sphere, it it looks like this will be our tampering example. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Caleb Williams there, obviously, uh, and I think they have some sort of relationship. I forget what the specifics of that were, but some history. Uh, oh, they're from the same same place or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. they're both from DC. For, from DC, yeah. Um, so now importantly this isn't done yet nothing is signed he's in the portal but now people i mean like we said this best receiver in the country last year and he's still you know gonna be a junior um and probably gonna be a top 10 pick or something you know so now the idea is uh or or the speculation is is bama gonna come in and and you know, ramp this up as a bidding war or is anyone else going to get involved um, before he makes any decision because he just entered the portal, so he can't sign anything yet uh, that binds him to USC. So that's the question. Um, And I think on this too, it's a good time to talk about kind of what the NCAA is trying to do recently, which is there's been a bunch of reports about the NCAA kind of rushing through these sanctions on NIL um and trying to play catch up like we said in the intro um and interestingly part of them is has been that they want to enforce them retroactively which of course means you know for things that have already happened before the sanctions were in place um i think from my understanding the spirit of these is that they want to crack down on deals that are struck before a player has signed anything with the university. Um, and I, I mean, I appreciate that as, you know, the spirit of what NIL was supposed to be, maybe, uh, at least the positive, the optimistic interpretation of it was mm-hmm. let these guys get into college, ha- you know, have these high profiles, make money for the university and have opportunities based on their success on the field to leverage that into advertising dollars and you know sponsorships and all these things and make some money off of their brand that they've cultivated in college. Mm-hmm. What it's turned into is a transactional thing where it's just before you know let me pay you x amount of money for you to come to this school and start playing for us and just play football there. Um, not let's let, not, you know, you play there, you're good. And now we leverage your brand into some deal, 
where you make a sponsorship contract, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Um, I think the NCAA is sadly, or maybe not so sadly, toothless (laughs) in terms of they have, they have no ability to enforce any of this stuff. Um, They're a mess. They, you know, consistently wait half a decade to put sanctions down for recruiting violations before all of this on an individual school. So what is going to make you think that they're going to be able to sort through all these NIL contracts and, you know, do anything that actually challenges any of these schools? Um, I mean, it's no secret we're kind of in the 11th hour of the NCAA's lifespan and we're going to have to see how college (laughs) sports and college football specifically evolves out of that. Um, But it's an interesting thing. uh, And I think that, you know, I mean, if it was enforced, I think Oregon would be in a better position than most because I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of trying to follow the spirit of, of the rules would be a generous interpretation (laughs) of it. Um, Publicly. Which is what matters. I mean, let's be honest. No big program is going to like do everything by the book at this point. Exactly. I think that the thing that we've known about Oregon for a long time, though, is is and that's been a huge benefit to Oregon over the past years is Oregon's booster structure is not a mess. Uh, It's one, two, three guys with a lot of money who have a lot of control. There aren't all these different, you know, cooks in the kitchen, pulling different ways, power hungry. Uh, It's some pretty smart guys with a lot of money who have a lot of history of success in sports business. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nike specifically. (laughs) Um, So there's a lot of smart people in the room who have experience uh, with investments in sports on, on early, you know, on prospects with deals like this um, that, you know, maybe they were done with, you know, giving Jordan a shoe deal going into the NBA or whatever. And yeah, that's a little different, but it's a similar kind of idea in saying, let's evaluate this guy's potential, his brand, what he's worth, um, follow the legalities of things. So I would just say Oregon has a pretty smart team behind this um, Mm -hmm. that has, you know, and some money as well. Uh, And so I think Oregon's in a really good position in terms of like, just because of the relationship with Nike, the guys who are making this these decisions uh, have you know as much of a background in it as possible, uh, and the funding stream is is very streamlined, so that you know it's not a mess like it is. I think at these other collectives where it's just okay, we have you know twenty pretty rich boosters who all own you know real estate and oil <laughs> companies and want to tell us how to run the offense you know <laughs> and um they have Program. no yeah. yeah and they have no experience in sports business but they're kind of gonna s- string this thing together and say oh eight mil for nico yeah sure we don't really you know we can <laughs> get that money so let's just do it um and oregon is is being a little more analytical in their approach probably um, I hope that's not yeah. too much of a homer take, but I really do think it's true. <laughs> and if you read most of the national coverage on Oregon's NIL collective, it will like say the same thing. I mean, again, this is why I say not a lot of stuff has changed. Like 
oh what a shock the southern schools are being reckless about it because they they <laughs> have to they have to to get the guy and uh little oregon all tucked away in the northwest is you know nicely positioned like it's this is the same thing we were talking about when guys were supposedly not getting paid uh in before nil which that's they true um I, I have a couple quick points about this. The first one, obviously, just you touched on this a little bit, but the NCAA is so, it's such a joke at this point. Um, <laughs> they have very little power. And I think the, you know, Emmert retiring after, like, botching Kansas's name when they won the basketball title uh, while they were under investigation and have been for a number of years, like, that's kind of the chef's kiss, like, perfect indication of what the NCAA has been under Emmert. Um, not necessarily all his fault, but we're not behind the veil. We're not behind the curtain. So it's, it's tough to ever know. Uh, I did learn he was a Husky though. I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of that beforehand. Um, so yeah, screw him, I guess. Uh, we'll see who the new NCAA president is. This could very well in, in kind of a, who's the next PAC 12 commissioner. Oh, it's Klyavkov. Like, we're going to have to feel this person out. We're going to have to see, like, what they actually do. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but it's going to be, it's, you know, if the NCAA doesn't start becoming a forward-thinking organization now, it's going to die. Yeah. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Pollen's catching up. <laughs> um, that's all I really have to say about this. Uh yeah, yeah, totally. All right, I think <laughs> we probably should get into uh, some actual spring, spring game. game talk. The The last thing we should mention is just what are Oregon's transfer targets going forward. We're going to learn more about that. But positions of need, um, cornerback and safety, obviously, um, mm-hmm. would be helpful. An offensive tackle would be nice. We'll talk about a bit of the offensive lines struggles uh in the spring game i guess you could say um in a second here and then maybe a wide receiver i don't know if that's necessary but you know some could be if it's the right fit um i mean the the rumor is ricky pearsall the asu star wide receiver uh apparently pretty much all of asu's wide receiver room and roster for that matter is just getting cleaned out in the transfer portal for obvious reasons i mean that program is a disaster you see they just picked up uh, Emory Jones from Florida. Oh, really? oh, I did see that. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, that that's really the only name that's on my radar at this point. I mean, the UW corner, Jacoby Covington, was rumored for a while, but it seems like uh, that smoke has died down and that he probably won't be out here. Um, anyone else that you have an eye on? Yeah, not really. I mean, you know, with wide receiver, I think if it was Xavier Worthy, I could have gotten pretty excited about it. Um, but I don't know if we just need a body to add a body. Uh, we'll see how it works out. And, of course, you know, follow along on on Scoop Duck to see those updates. Um, all right, you want to do spring game discourse for, for 30 yeah, minutes here or so? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> We're over an hour in and we haven't talked about the spring game, but... Uh... It's our podcast. We can do what we want. <laughs> um, all right. Biggest takeaways from this game. I'm, I'm thinking of two big main ones and then add in what you want. Um, DJ Johnson, best player on sp- at the spring game. It's not 
wasn't particularly close, in my opinion. Uh, tallied up four sacks and seven tackles. And he was just kind of a beast wherever he was. Lanning had really good things to say about him after the game. Uh, called him, like, all Pac-12 potential and, like, potentially one of the best in the country at his position. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far for somebody who was playing tight end last year. But, um, I mean, good for DJ at the very least. And I hope he can keep up that kind of production. Uh, four sacks, five tackles for loss in this game. Like, he was all over the place. And then quarterback is the obvious one that we were always going to look at from this game. Bo Nix, 8 of 15, 230 yards, three touchdowns. Had that long pass to Seven McGee, obviously. Did get sacked, quote-unquote sacked, four times. Um, and then Thompson, uh, 12 for 27 with two picks. Bo just had the one pick. I forgot that. Ty had one in 168 and one touchdown with a long of 49. He was only sacked once. So I think kind of the consensus is that Bo played better. Um which kind of aligns with what we already sort of... It aligns with our inclinations already about what this quarterback room would look like. But I think it's safe to say for now that Bo is QB1 heading into the, the summer offseason. Yeah, I yeah. think I think this game cemented a lot of those things for me. Um, I mean, you'd gone to see a little more spring practice and stuff. Well, infinitely more than, than I had or than most people <laughs> listening had. Um, so maybe you had a better impression talking to some of these guys, but it was good to get some eyes on them, um, for me. And I definitely started to feel like, yeah, this, this thing is, is very much trending towards, you know, 80% bows, the game one starter, uh, somewhere mm -hmm. around there is probably where I'm at. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know what number. That's a good yeah. Number. Yeah. Um, I wasn't thinking of numbers, but I mean. 80 is solid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, still subject to change. You don't know. Uh, it was interesting watching uh, the QB11 rewatch of the spring game breakdown. Um, he was still positive on Ty. You know, he said, like, I mean, Ty had the late pick was really bad. Uh, was yeah. kind of some of the stuff we saw with Shuck just missing a guy over the middle and throwing it right to him. Um, which was, so, but, but. You know, QB was saying there's still a really good quarterback in there uh, with Ty. And that's how I feel, too. You know, I think that people are – Bo starts this year. Uh, let's just I, – I think people are rushing to conclusions too fast sometimes. Um, and for me, you know, if Ty isn't ready this year, Bo starts. I think this team can be good with Bo. Uh, and – you know, I'm, I'm not going to throw this whole thing out and say, well, because Ty isn't ready yet, he'll never be ready or he'll never be a good quarterback because I don't think that's true. Um, I think he's got some stuff to still work on and hopefully it, you know, continues to click and maybe that happens, you know, in fall camp. Maybe that happens next spring. Maybe it happens the spring after that or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe it doesn't happen and it doesn't work out, but I don't think we know that yet based on, um, him just throwing, you know, a couple picks on, um, on, well, a few Saturdays yeah, there's, ago. There's now. a lot more that goes into a big decision like that. Exactly. Um, Bo's, Bo's performance was pretty good too. I mean, the one head scratching interception was kind of 
like the story with him you know that's that's what people have said is it was it was just a weird uh decision like really hard to justify I mean I think it's one thing with Ty where Ty's ball was in that late one that got picked off it seemed like just not seeing a guy you know thinking Mm -hmm. that a guy wasn't wasn't going to be able to get in front of that pass uh, and just losing track of him with your eyes. But Bose was just kind of like uh, such a stretch of the imagination to think that you were going to be able to fit that ball in that tiny window with three defender, just like really crazy overconfidence. Like, I don't know how, how you looked at that, uh, and saw that going well um and the throw left a lot to be desired as well uh to the point where i mean it was like it it was it was one of the easiest interceptions i've ever seen (laughs) yeah i was i was on the field for that one they let it they brought us down to the field in the fourth quarter in the box and it was i mean we had a pretty weird angle of it and i I was down there chatting with some guys and we were like did that did he just throw it right to him (laughs) like what what was what were we really going for there um on the tie one at least exactly yeah yeah (sighs) i don't know it was a fun spring game though for sure i mean it's pretty much everything you want out of a spring game Right, every spring game is success is a success when there's no injuries, which uh, were avoided. Um, I see you have some rotation notes on defense. I, I think that's really good to note. Um, but before that, was there anybody that really was there anybody else that you were closely watching or that stuck out to you? I think Swenson was the big one for me on the rewatch. Um, it felt like a DJ Johnson game. You know, was he was so dom- dominant, uh, and he was. But rewatching it, uh, Swinson kept showing up and getting pressures, um, and you know, a couple times he kind of had to pull up because uh, the quarterbacks weren't live, uh, but looked like he was in position to get hits on them. Uh, and the type of hits really that uh, you know coming from the side um from the blind side sometimes but just kind of in a position where you know you have a you had a chance to knock a guy um in a way that you know forces a turnover whether that's a strip sack or whether it's you know getting the hit on the guy as he's throwing and the ball's kind of wobbling up there and you have a chance to get a pick like they felt like very disruptive plays uh and potential turnover causers where he was in the backfield pretty regularly um Mm -hmm. so Swinson was the other big one for me honestly uh and then I mean on the offensive side I thought all of the skill guys were uh awesome a lot of people loved seeing Chase Code out there and he was a really consistent force that caught a lot of good balls and then getting a touchdown um for Troy in seven and two for Dante Thornton was a huge positive as well right those are the guys everyone wants to see uh, and I thought the dynamic of this receiver room was really fun. Uh, and I'm excited about the running back room to pair with that. Uh, I'm just super, super excited um, for both those rooms. And maybe, as we talked about at the top of the show with the running back room, maybe sometimes that excitement for me and, and uh, the potential that I see in those players 
and how fun they are to watch kind of bleeds into an over-evaluation of how good they're going to be. I guess we'll see how what happens when it comes to the season, but it's an exciting mix in both uh, rooms. And, you know, after, after a few set of years where we kind of had the same dudes back um, and they were, you know, fun to watch and did a ton for the program, but they didn't feel like there was that much upside maybe uh, in either of those rooms. And now it feels like there's a ton of upside uh, in both the running back and receiver room, I'd say. I mean, on paper, this is easily the best receiver room we've ever had. I think it's safe to say that by now. Um, also, yeah. the most fun interviews I've ever had in one position group. We had seven out there. He was great. Noah Whittington was great. Dante Thornton is hilarious, bro. <laughs> he was... <laughs> he, He's one of my favorite people to interview at this point. Like, he was explaining his chains to us. You know, his, his nickname in high school was Mac 11, Murder Any Corner. I thought that was pretty fun. He was explaining <laughs> all the different, like, the receiver room has, like, three different nicknames for themselves, uh, including the Hot Boys, I think, is the latest one. Um, he's just hilarious, and he was he was really fun. Um he had a chain one of his other chains was a, he had a picture of himself from last year's spring game that he was wearing so that was pretty sick um but yeah i i'm really excited about the direction of these rooms obviously with seven being a full-time receiver now too that just gives us even more speed so i think another guy who stood out was chase coda um climbed the ladder for a few different catches and just looked all around like a solid receiver i think I was a little bit more skeptical before the spring game spring game about whether or not he would start, but I think he's a bona fide starter at this rate. Um, probably be him and either Franklin or Thornton with seven in the slot uh, for the kind of starting three-person wide receiver room. And, I mean, shoot, even the backups at that rate could be starters. Uh, we're talking about Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, and then, like, stump anybody else, really. Isaiah like Crocker. Yeah, Crocker or uh, even the guy like, um, shoot, I, I lost my notes for a second. Uh, Isaiah Brevard, Josh Delgado is, is right. a big name. Like, we just kind of keep forgetting in the wide receiver room. Um, we're stacked, man. This These, like, ten guys we got in the wide receiver room, absolutely loaded. You add a guy like Ricky Pearsall to that potentially, and it's, like, I mean, one of the best in the country at that rate. Um yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously we need to get some proven production out of these guys, but in terms of the talent there, for sure. Yeah. There is the charts, man. Yeah. Crazy. Really off the charts. Um, some of the worrying things on offense, uh, I would say, I mean, the tight ends didn't really show up as much as I wanted them to. There are some worrying drops, I felt like, both from. Uh, Ferguson and Montevall. Not gonna freak out about it, you know, but I think there was a excitement that this would be a really good tight end room, um, and that we didn't really see that during the spring game is all I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the offensive line uh, struggled. I think I would say, you know, pump the brakes on worrying that much. This is kind of how things go in spring camp usually. Uh, offensive yeah. line struggle um, to get to gel together usually uh, in the spring and then uh, especially when it's mixed into how they did it on 
on uh, well the Saturday that they played, not last Saturday, but um, was you know to have it be half starters and half bench guys, sometimes even walk-ons for the offensive lines that were out there. And it was pretty clear that, you know, DJ Johnson was more than happy to take advantage of those matchups and cause some havoc. But I think ultimately Oregon still has a pretty good five, six, seven uh, that they can go out there with. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if, if Oregon could get a really elite, nice lockdown left tackle, uh, or not lockdown, but sturdy piece there, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Consistent would, guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, that would but, be I a mean, big help, but, you know. I don't know. I'm less I concerned about the fine. O-line than I am about tight ends, for example. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say it's, it's not a question mark, but I could potentially see the tight end, like, Mid-season next year, I could potentially see myself saying, like, oh, man, the tight end room, you know, really fell off from what our expectations were. I don't feel like I I, I don't have that same concern about offensive line. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think Bass and Forsyth on the R especially, like, and, and Walk, really. I mean, even though we know the deal with Walk being, you know, having – uh, being a little smaller frame and shorter arms, you know, because he wasn't a scholarship guy initially. But, I mean, he's damn good and consistent ultimately, especially in the Pac-12. Um, yeah. And I think getting some consistent tackle play uh, is the only kind of worry. But I think he'll be good enough. Um, but at least you have those three in the middle that you can lean on pretty solidly, I think. Yeah. Maybe some other position groups we've been talking about. Uh, obviously, the secondary is kind of where you start in terms of do we have concerns here. You noted some rotations uh, in those spots, but overall, I would point to uh, my scoop duck story on the two deep. I gave my best shot at what the two deep will look like based on the spring game, based on what I saw in spring, and just based on experience that each guy has at each position. Jared Denny did one for the offense as well, so go check those out. Um, obviously, you can disregard the Damon David uh, part that I put in there about him. You know, he was on the on the fringe, if not solidly, a backup in the two deep, which is again a terrible person to lose considering the lack of depth we have there. But what are some things you noticed about each of those guys? You know, corners and safeties and. Maybe I should have you give your best shot at a safety's too deep. Yeah, um, it's <laughs> it is a little <laughs> grim back there, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit worried uh, about that. I I felt really good about the front seven. Uh, look, I mean, there were a lot of young guys playing in the spring game who did not really look like they belo- they belonged on a college football field, at least not this fall, you know, at least not mm-hmm. starting against Georgia um, or playing snaps against Georgia, <laughs> I think is safe to say. Um, yep. 
So mind you, there are guys who still aren't here yet too. Yeah, which, yep. which we have to keep in in perspective. Tucker Terrell and uh, oh, why am I forgetting? Trey John Williams are all like DBs who will be here but aren't yet. So. Mm-hmm. And and all those guys are definitely good. Not maybe. Uh, I mean, in general, if a guy arrives as a prep in the fall probably should not be depending on him for major rotational snaps yeah. and i mean the position is called safety for <laughs> like you you want some experience back there right um so anyway so my shot i mean so the good news uh christian gonzalez looked good right um yes mostly stayed away from him uh in part because dante thornton was running free on whoever else was guarding him (laughs) (laughs) um or you know so uh, but christian (laughs) gonzalez looked good i think that's one um trikres bridges had the pick six he's a playmaker Mm -hmm. i always like to bring up that he holds the high school record for interceptions in alabama that's pretty impressive to me uh and he's got some i mean just the way he moves at safety his size uh is a different level of talent than we've had there uh in in a pretty long time i feel like um Mm -hmm. maybe i mean really a, a safety of his length um i mean i guess you could say you know holland wasn't quite as long as him but um he was really talented back there obviously but safeties like that we've had more of like you know john boyette types have been really good safeties for us or avery patterson or something anyways i i he's a unique blend that i'd be really excited to see and i think can be a playmaker um so i had some optimism about that uh i don't really know who's behind him though at the other spot brian Anderson, steve stevens i feel all right but really am not in love with either of those options to just be honest um i think it'll be addison yeah i think it'll be addison Addison. i think it'll be addison and steve stevens is a guy who i have you know pretty strongly penciled into a two deep spot somewhere um it was interesting so one of the things that i talked about in rotations one of the things that i didn't uh notice in the flow of the game that hithliday pointed out was that um Triquas Bridges did take half of his snaps at corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that happened, Bennett Williams slid over to boundary safety. Um, and then uh, we had Marco V. I'm not going to try with that last name. <laughs> slide in the walk on at nickel. Dickerson would stay in uh, and Barkins would uh, be bumped. So... Mm-hmm. Um, in that regard, I think, well, it shows Dickerson's probably about above Barkins right now. If you're looking for another of those young corners to fit into the two deep, it's probably Dickerson. Um, the fact that Bennett Williams is sliding into safety, that could help. I'm team get Bennett Williams on the field personally, um, especially without another lockdown option at corner. If Jamal Hill can put things together and be a little better than he was last year, because that felt like a little bit of a sophomore slump. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and he can lock down the nickel spot and you free up Bennett Williams to play at a safety and Triquez is in there uh, and you get some help from Brian Addison and Steve Stevens, um, that's something, you know, but I don't know. There, there's. I, I think that really, I mean, I, I would take a transfer corner and a transfer safety, honestly, with how things are looking right now. Uh, you hope that Manning's good. I mean, really, you just tr- are hoping you can find, like, f- five to hopefully, I mean, five is the bare minimum for good bodies uh, in the secondary, and you'd really like it to be, seven or more uh mm-hmm. highly playable guys and right now what Oregon's at one with gonzalez two bridges um two and a half with manning <laughs> two and a, yeah Dante two and a half. <laughs> bennett like williams, bennett williams somewhere, yeah. you know maybe i mean maybe if you're being optimistic <laughs> with Hill's progression and Manning stepping up five that I like a lot, and then maybe Brian Addison and Steve Stevens would be, but Stevens I mean, does have the experience. Stevens but has it wasn't Stevens always has, good experience. Yeah, I mean, they're, so. they're those guys are playable. Oh, oh, of course. You have yeah. you have you have seven who are playable, and probably I think one of Dickerson and Fl- or Florence will be playable, and you'll probably. I mean, Florence looked. <sighs> no, I, I mean the, absolutely no shade, thing, no shade towards D- Jaleel Florence, but I mean Dante Thornton <laughs> torched, absolutely torched him, and Thornton yeah. is a very good wide receiver, but like not did not look ready to step on a field uh and start or play heavy (laughs) rotation minutes like that looked like you're minus 10 points probably uh if you're playing him part of the problem here too is that we're framing all our thinking in terms of georgia and we did this last offseason with ohio state and guess what that's what we should be doing because those are the programs we want we would like to be on the level of um, in terms of Pac-12 play, like, I'm not super concerned. Uh, maybe a team like, I mean, obviously Utah will still be a matchup problem. And, I mean, USC with the talent they have on the outside could pose threats. But I'm not, like, super concerned about going through Pac-12 play with this group. Uh, but I am super concerned about that first game, for sure. Yeah. So, I don't know if you saw any of the opening lines, but it's looking like the same thing as last year. 15. Uh, for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I so, think... I, I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, McKee at, at Stanford is a good yeah. quarterback. Well, yeah, DT- Stanford always just does it to us anyways. <laughs> yeah, and DTR uh, is, you know, something to worry about at UCLA. Um, and... T-Mac from Arizona. I mean, we got one solid corner at least, so. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah, and Cam Ward at Washington State is, Mm. you know, could be a factor. But, yeah, I don't know. We'll, We'll have to see how it works out. I mean, hopefully, hopefully, you know, if Dickerson or, you know, or Barkins or Florence could take a jump, that would be very welcomed 
Uh, or shoot, hey, maybe the maybe the front seven is so good that it just makes everything behind them obsolete. You know, I mean that was. Yeah. <laughs> this is apples to oranges comparison, but uh, I mean the relative weakness of Georgia's defense last year was the secondary. Uh, and they were able to overcome it. So maybe on a Pac-12 versus SEC scale, we could make that fit. Um, yeah, to what we need to get done. But uh, again, that game one is looking pretty tough right now. So we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we will see. We will see for sure. I mean, <laughs> I I think you know I I do think if you plug a few holes in the secondary, if you if two really good transfers came into the secondary, that would boost my opinion of, of this defense a ton. Uh, finding oh, those course. guys might be tough, but like uh, it's, it's a few holes that need to be plugged. Uh, but it's not like uh, overwhelming lack of talent across the defense at all. I, I think that we all know the deal at linebacker and the D-line looks really deep, and... Swinson and um, DJ Johnson look like bona fide edge rushers. Uh, Mace Funa also just should mention, I mean, he looked like a totally different guy out there. Uh, number 18 now, very uh, slimmed down in terms of the weight he had on and was really good. I mean, I think we'll see how it, it's always a balancing act between, you know, power and mobility. Uh, and I think part of what made him so impressive as a freshman was that he came in and immediately had the power to hold down an edge, um, you know, almost day mm-hmm. one, it felt like, because of his size. And then I think with COVID and the workouts, um, he got a little bit slow, uh, and now he's slimmed down uh, and looks quicker out there. But, you know, hopefully he can still hold the kind of strength that, uh, made him intriguing and successful to start his career. So an interesting development for sure. And I think there's more guys. Trevin May looked good. Um, and yeah. yeah, and I I feel good about this team in general. I think it's just a wait and see on the secondary, especially um, is going to change a lot of, of whether I think this is a team that uh, – you know, has legit conference title and potentially, you know, any sort of like outside playoff dreams. Obviously, that's not an expectation, but you know, if if these yeah. things get sorted out in the secondary, it could be a a hope, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't it's know. just you look at the secondary and you look at the names we've lost over the off season, and it's just absolutely brutal i mean mckinley happel david those were three guys who would be in the in the safeties rotation obviously happel was done with eligibility but um mikhail wright dj james those are two those are your two starting corners from last season uh Mm. obviously bringing gonzalez who doesn't even feel like a transfer because he's been here for so long um and jalen davies as well would probably be in this rotation pretty comfortably so I mean, yeah, what is I that, mean, six key guys that I just named, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's we all brutal. know this. We all know the story. I mean, with, I don't know. I mean, yeah, with Oregon, obviously, I don't think we've had recorded since the draft. But I mean, kind of a, um, 
you know, I mean, Kayvon was the only guy who got drafted, right? Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And Canzano actually had a good article about this. Like, I don't know what kind of advice some of these guys are getting, but usually it's from stakeholders, which is not the people you always want to be taking advice from. Uh, so I think a couple of them could have benefited from maybe sticking around, especially a guy like, I mean, Barone, who, yeah, sure, he gets to go to Miami and he gets paid millions of dollars to do it, but, or I, I, probably not even millions actually yet. Uh, but I mean, some of these cogs, you plug them back into this roster and it's looking real, real mean. So, yeah, I mean, we talk lot. about like, could, if only we had one good safety and one good corner transfer. I would also just take Verone and McHale <laughs> back. Yep. That would that would pretty much <laughs> do it. Nice. Yeah. Um, McHale especially though, I think uh, I feel the worst about. Like he, uh, yeah, feels like he really should have stayed. You know, I mean, absolutely mm-hmm. wish him the best. Of course, no nothing there. But I mean, uh, Verone, I at least feel like. You know, even though he wasn't drafted, it seems like he has a good chance to carve something out for him in, in Miami, and he gets to reunite with, with Javon mm-hmm. there. Um, and so I'm excited for that. But Mikhail is a little more, I don't know, you know <laughs> if he's going to fit in somewhere. Um, I mean, Devin Williams, too, the, this receiver room is fine, uh, thankfully. But he was a guy who, I mean, the big thing on him is, is I think he could have upped his stock more than anyone. Maybe, you know, yeah. I think Verone put yeah. a lot of good things on tape and uh, was drafted where he was, you know, or was signed where he was. But and, and I don't know how much it would have changed maybe with a year back, although it would have been awesome to have him back and maybe could have offered him some NIL money to have him back. I don't know what what they would have done, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. It's yeah. a tough pill to swallow for sure. Yeah, for um, sure. All right, man. Any other roster notes? I don't. I think we pretty much covered all the spots at this rate. Yeah, like I think we usually do. I think we went through it all. Um, hopefully, yeah. our NIL discussion wasn't too bloated, but it's kind of the talk <laughs> of what's going on right now. So I thought it was worth worth it's mentioning. Crazy time to be. Yeah, it, you can see the the um, thirty for thirty clips like being rolled out um, based on every few days worth of news which is not something you can always say especially again about college football in may so it's an interesting time to be a fan it's a super interesting time to be an oregon fan uh and thank you for being a fan of this podcast yes indeed yeah it's been a while since we've uh called for it but feel free to leave a five-star review or something if you want to share it with people (laughs) we haven't really done much promoting but you know <laughs> that's not really our style but uh yeah. we <laughs> we won't offer you an il money for it but um you are welcome to distribute this podcast uh so yeah thanks for listening and unless you got anything else read um i think we can get out of here yeah all good uh we'll just leave it as usual go ducks go ducks <laughs>